You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. I'm Amanda Clute, editor-in-chief of Eater. And I'm Daniel Janine, a producer at Eater. This week on the show, there is so much talk about restaurants starting to reopen um, in Hong Kong restaurants. Well, never actually technically closed, but certainly people are starting to go back out on the town. And uh, Mm -hmm. Amanda, what's going on in Georgia? In Georgia, the governor has announced plans to lift restrictions on first bowling alleys and hair salons, but by Monday, restaurants. Uh, A lot of people are not on board with this plan, but we are going to talk to our Atlanta editor to really get the full download on what's happening down there. And then we are going to talk to Andrew Janang and find out what's going on in Hong Kong. And then we're going to talk about whatever else is going on in the world. We interviewed Andrew uh, over Zoom and we got to see him out at a restaurant and I was so jealous (laughs) the whole time just watching him at a restaurant. I miss it so much. I mean, even though there was no one within his stratosphere... Just the fact that he was sitting at a table with food. Oof. Can't wait. If you like this show, please make sure to send it to a friend. Please make sure to send us emails, digest at eater.com. And here is Atlanta editor Beth McKibben. Beth, welcome. Hey, how are you? (laughs) Hanging in. So what's what's going on down there? What's happening? Um, well... restaurants (laughs) are allowed to resume uh dine-in service on monday april 27th with restrictions uh mostly going to be dealing with uh the social distancing aspects of dining including separating tables out um wearing masks and gloves um things like that however we have not received word yet from governor kemp uh about what those requirements will be for restaurants. So we're still waiting for that. It should be released today. Um, but yeah, so we're kind of in a holding pattern. There are the majority of the restaurants that I have been either speaking with or have, um, reached out to me or have been placing notices on social media are not planning to reopen on Monday next week. They just, they're not ready. They don't feel safe. Um, they know they have the option, but they're opting not to do it. Can you tell us about what the scene is like in Georgia right now? Like we just talked to someone in Hong Kong and they've had single digit cases for a long time. And so they, they feel comfortable reopening. Is it, do you feel like your cases are going down? Is it going to be safe soon? Um, no, right now, (laughs) we just had the, uh, noon update and I want to say, that it was just over 21,000 um, cases, uh, positive cases, and um, about 833 deaths that were reported. Uh, our numbers are going up and down, um, 
there are two hot spots, one of them being the metro Atlanta area, which, you know, is very densely populated, it's about 6 million people. Um, and then uh, Doherty County, which is in the southwest portion of the state. Uh, I would say the majority of the public, at least in the metropolitan area, are not 100% comfortable with restaurants reopening right now. So why are they doing it? Um, you know, the governor says that he's been following health officials and he's been watching the data and he says he feels good with the decision and that he wants to put the power in the hands of the businesses um, and restaurants that he is deeming to open, deeming um, the ability to open Friday. Uh, it'll be like nail salons and hair salons, barbers, tattoo shops, bowling alleys. That can happen on Friday. And then Monday, uh, if they so choose, and then Monday it will be restaurants and um, places like movie theaters. And a lot of movie theaters are, are choosing not to reopen either, including I believe AMC was one of them. I haven't uh, seen that official, but I've heard that they are not planning to reopen in Georgia. This went down so unexpectedly that no one had enough time to prepare for what operating a dining room during a pandemic um, looks like. I mean, that's not in the manual. So um, a lot of restaurants were caught off guard. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, the news comes down yesterday from Donald Trump that he is also not, you know, in favor of what Brian Kemp is, is, is attempting to do. Even Trump doesn't agree. Yeah, I mean... What, what, how or why he doesn't agree is I'm not going to speculate, but the fact is, is that there are n a number, number, number of people that do not believe what is going on down here is, is the right move. And we will see in two weeks um, whether cases spike or don't spike. Um, you know, obviously our hope is that it doesn't, but um, that's not what health officials are telling us. So it's, the mood here is, is very, there's a lot of, a, a lot of trepidation. There's a lot of, people are really, really nervous. And some of the people that I've been speaking to, um, diners that, you know, a lot of our, our, our big, uh, we have a big dining scene. A lot of people know each other. And a lot of people are like, absolutely not. I want to support the restaurants, but I do not feel that I can walk into a restaurant right now and feel safe. So it's, it's, it's been hard to cover this news because you want your restaurants to succeed. And I understand Brian Kemp wants to kickstart the economy. I understand that as do all of the restaurants, they want their money back. They want to, they want to be making money. They want to hire all their people back, but they also don't want to do it at the expense of someone's life. So how are you writing about restaurants that are reopening? We're working on trying to phrase it um, in a way that lets people know that we're not a hundred percent, you know, down with this. We're not cool mm -hmm. that, that this is happening, that we, we want people to understand there are real risks at, uh, you know, of, of you going out and dining in a restaurant. Um, and the fact that the restaurants are not 100% ready for this and they're not prepared, you need to understand that. They still don't have their guidelines from the governor and they still have got to get all of those practices put into place before they can fully reopen this, you know, I think he's calling it like minimum operations or something. So yeah. there's a set of guidelines that like minimum basic guidelines that everyone knows you have to be doing. 
but it's those extra requirements that we're waiting for that he supposedly is going to bring today for restaurants that we still don't know those are. And so restaurants are basically like, I don't feel like I can do this right now. We can't do this right now. Like we're not ready for this. So it's, it's been hard to cover that because yeah, I, I, and I, I apologize for, for kind of, you know, stumbling over my words. It's just, there's just no words, you know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. I've never ever dealt with this kind of a story before where restaurants are like really hesitant about how to do business. I mean, they're, they're just as, they're just as confused as the rest of us. What about the places that are reopening? Um, what are they saying? I know you said there are a handful that are going to go forward with it. Um, well, one restaurant owner I spoke to with today, um, you know, I asked him point blank, are you concerned? He's like, we are very concerned, but we also have 120 people that are out of work and we are going to do everything in our power to make sure that those 120 people and the people that come into our restaurant uh, are taken care of, including gloves and masks. And, you know, he's, they've gotten an, uh, they've, I, I think they, they ordered and, and have received an infrared thermometer. So they're going to be taking people's temperatures. I mean, it's like, they're getting it. They're getting as many safety protocols in place. And this is even they said that, you know, we're concerned. We haven't seen anything come down from the governor yet, but we're ready to implement whatever the governor says we need to do. What's the logic on the bowling? I don't know. Somebody joked and asked if he owned a bowling alley. I mean, it's like, I don't Uh know. I mean, it's, it's, I don't, I have no idea. The last thing I want to do is to go into a bowling alley and put my fingers into a bowling ball. (laughs) It's like, no, not absolutely not. Well, thank you (laughs) for all the reporting. Good luck down there. Thank you very much. So Andrew Janung, a writer based in Hong Kong, uh, has written for Eater about how the city is starting to reopen. So we have him on the show today to tell us about what that world is like. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, guys. How's it going? Where are you? Uh, I am at a restaurant. Uh, I'm out. I'm having dinner. Yeah, I know. Um, I'm at a little place called Chino in Kennedy Town uh, in Hong Kong, right on the water. It's a Mexican place with slightly upscale. I'm having a margarita and a couple tacos. There's a decent crowd here tonight. It's like a maybe 30, 40 seat restaurant and about half the seats are full. They're sticking to their 50 capacity uh, rule, but you know, it's lively. It's good. I'm out. So can you back up and tell us how long has Hong Kong been under lockdown and when did they start easing the restrictions? So Hong Kong never closed restaurants. Um, it has been under lockdown since like January, late January, they started um, some border closings and those were phased in as people um, got a little more agitated about the border remaining open. Uh, And it's been just sort of a series of rolling measures since then. And um, in late March, after a few incidents, they closed the bars and some other places like massage parlors and things like that. Uh, But restaurants have been allowed to stay open and they have a few rules. You have to have 50% capacity, four people to a table, temperature checks on entrance. Um, but, you know, for the most part, you, you have always been able to go to a restaurant in Hong Kong throughout this entire ordeal. So can you walk us through what it is like from walking into a place to sitting down? 
yeah, so tonight, um, I actually opened the door and walked in. I was immediately shoot outside. <laughs> I had broken rule number one. Uh, some places will tell you you have to wear a mask coming into the restaurant. You have to like show that you're wearing a mask. Uh, this, I don't, that's not one of the government rules. That's not everywhere. Uh, this place, I just walked in and she was like, whoa, 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 sir, sir, sir. And pushed me outside to take my temperature, uh, which I passed with flying colors. And then um, I came on in, I sat down, I was immediately presented with a small sheet of paper that asked for my name, phone number, and email address. Um, and that's pretty common. It's actually a little tame at Yardbird. I wrote it in my piece the other day. Um, they asked me to sign like a little, um, declaration that I hadn't been out of the country in 14 days. I wasn't with anybody who had COVID or might have COVID. And I didn't have COVID or might have COVID. Um, so that was, uh, pretty simple. And then that's it. And then I sat down and started ordering my margarita and tacos. And here I am. And the idea is that if they take your contact information, they can reach out to you in case they do have a case there and they need to do some contact tracing. Yeah, absolutely. So the government here has been really good about um, contact tracing and making sure that anybody who was at a venue is traced back to. In fact, I mean, Hong Kong, there's a live map that you can go to with red and green dots around the city telling you if someone in a building has had has been in and so wow. you can literally zoom in on buildings in your neighborhood and it'll be like in this building, a, you know, 48 year old female had was like showed symptoms on this day, was confirmed this day and has been cleared on this day or is still infected and living, you know, not living in the building because she would be in a quarantine facility. But um, yeah, it's all pretty civil liberty less. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Speaking of how you, you know, you're an American expat. How do you think these measures would translate to the U.S.? Like is this a version of what we should expect or is it not doable here? Yeah, I think that's hard. I don't know. I, you know, we give away so much of our information online, but as soon as it's personal, like as soon as the person at a retail store asked me for my zip code, I'm like, what are you talking about? Why do you need my zip code? But if I bought that same product online, I'd be like, here's my zip code, here's my address, here's my credit card, like take everything. Um, so I don't know how people are going to take to that kind of strict personal data collection. But I think it's entirely possible and in a lot of ways sensible. Like, you know, if somebody walks into this restaurant today with COVID and I go home and there's no way two days later for them to tell me that, hey, by the way, you're in the situation, you should come get tested. That would be disconcerting. Like, I, I kind of want that. I want everyone around me to have that. So, so we're all in the same boat and we all know what's going on. What's the mask situation there? Is every, every server, every cook every person that works for the restaurant wearing a mask? Yeah, every single staff member is wearing a mask. That's really common. Um, I don't think that's government mandated, although I might be wrong, but um, but every restaurant I've seen, every single staff member is wearing a mask. And and the diners obviously are not. They, you know, as soon as I came in, I placed my order, my drink came and my mask went into my lap. So <laughs> it creates sort of a weird situation. Um, and some groups, I've actually seen one group that has these little paper bags with their branding on it that are mask bags. So when you come to the restaurant and take your mask off, you can like safely store your mask while you're having your meal and then later take it out. Because oh right my now, God. mine's, yeah, well, mine's on my leg. And when I first came in here, I grabbed my drink, took a drink, and then my hand was wet. And I reached down as if to wipe my napkin <laughs> and I dried my hand on my mask, quickly, which is, you know, great. Just a lot, cool. a lot of little things to get used to. Yeah. How is communicating with the waiters wearing masks? Because I know just going to coffee shops, I find myself screaming a lot so people understand me. 
yeah, everything is a little bit muffled. And even I just, you know, they're just, we're just used to reading lips and looking at people when they talk to get, you know, any words that are lost, we get that from that um, subtle communication. So there have been a few times when I haven't been able to understand somebody. Like I said, in the piece, I actually, I ordered a dish that I didn't think I ordered the first time I, I tried to talk to somebody. Um, and for the most part, I don't know, people, you know, people in Hong Kong just wear masks when they're, you know, when they're not feeling well or whatever. So I don't feel like I've lost like smiles and stuff. I feel like if you're looking at someone wearing a mask and they're smiling, you can tell. Um, but there is some communication loss when a server is trying to explain a complicated menu or an item or ask you something that you're not prepared for. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to tell sometimes. Have you heard anything about chefs tasting food with the masks on? You know, Dave Chang is on that all the time asking like, whether or not people will be able to taste food. I honestly, I don't see it as a problem. I, you know, people use tasting spoons all the time in kitchens and, and, you know, throw those in the wash and then grab another one. I just feel like there'll just be another piece of disposable equipment that'll, you know, you'll grab a tissue, you'll pull your mask down, you'll take a tasting spoon, you'll take a taste, tissue goes in the trash, tasting spoon goes in the wash, and then you do the process all over again. I don't, I don't really see that as a problem, especially because everything I've read said food itself is not really a vector, you know, it's uh, right you're eating you're not like respirating so it's not really a problem um but maybe he's privy to information that i'm not i'm not privy to how have diners been responding to these measures well i sent daniel some pictures when i was uh i did a little loop through kennedy town before i came here people are pretty fine everybody's out and about um there are a few i heard a few instances at uh yardbird hong kong when i went the other day the host said it's not about the, you know, the, the information giving or having to wear a mask or anything like that. It's more about the groups thing, which happens in restaurants anyway. You know, if, if a restaurant has a strict group rule of any kind, like you can't be seated without a complete party or you've got one more than our table can hold and why can't we just pull up the chair? Um, so that seems sort of par for the course. But uh, for the most part in Hong Kong, you know, this city has been prepared for this since SARS uh, in 2003. Um, and people are just used to giving up little things or changing little things for this mm -hmm. common fight against, you know, a, a scary disease that could ruin their city. So, I mean, for the most part, there are I, like, you know, a lot of ire here has been directed towards expats from the U.S. and Europe, Australia, who uh, maybe came later and don't have that understanding. And, you know, one of the reasons the bars closed is because people just felt like it was out of control. People were going there. There was a band that played a couple shows and spread the spread the virus around. There was like no respect for the social distancing or, or any of those considerations. And I think um, the government was just like, all right, we got to shut this down. And just tonight, even walking around, the, the rules are in place for you can only have four people and all that stuff. But I went, uh, I walked around my usual coffee shop slash cocktail bar, and there was a group of people there, masked off, drinking, hanging out. It's a toss the boss night there, so it's you flip a coin, and if you win, you get your drink free, and it just seemed like a normal Thursday night. And wow. when I see that, yeah, I feel, it just feels a little weird, like we're so close to the end of this thing, possibly, and, and there's people who are just like, you know what, eh, screw it, we're, we're there, let's just do it. That just seems a little risky, but yeah, who knows? The government, um, the the government health experts today, I think, in the paper, were talking about easing the restrictions on May seventh at the earliest, or waiting twenty eight days since the last local case, uh, which is sort of, I think, a common international goal. But we've had single digit cases here for the last two weeks, I think. So. Wow. And when they say easing the restrictions, 
in May, they mean like completely opening things back up to normal? I mean, who knows what, what gradient they'll, they'll decide on, but what I read was bars, pubs, everything um, back open, probably with rules in place for them being open, but you know, not nothing as strict as it is right now. Like the frickin' disco lights meat markets opening back up? <laughs> Daniel, you know, we don't spend a lot of time in those places these days. <laughs> Uh, so I'm not sure their status, but I will look into that for you. Yeah. <laughs> make sure that I get that information. I know you're waiting on it. Thanks. Yeah, great. Um, in terms of being a solo diner, you said that uh, that's you feel the impact of the distance between tables a little more intensely. Yeah. I mean, I don't when I dine solo, I don't go out to necessarily meet people. I'm very happy to sit and read and have a drink and eat my meal. It's not. But there is. You know, dining out, there's always a little bit of potential energy that something might happen or that, you know, whatever. Um, and there's just, that's sort of gone. Tonight, it feels a little bit more chill, actually. But in, in Yardbird, Hong Kong, I was in the middle of this room and it just felt like there was an ocean around me mm-hmm. and nobody was near me. Um, and there was no chance that I was going to have any contact with anybody throughout the night. And in Frank's, the first place I went to, I went downstairs to the more of the bar area and I got a drink and I was just standing on my own. And I, you know, I think I said, there's no way that I could walk up to people and start a conversation or anyone could walk up to me. It just, you know, there's just these rules in place and there were a group of four. So I'm not going to walk up to that group. And then there's a group of two and me walking up to them is sort of this, like, it becomes a thing. It's no longer, we're just at a bar and I'm ordering a drink next to you. And Hey, how's it going? Oh, I like that drink. It's more like a, Hi, my name's Andrew. I also live in this city. Like, what are you doing tonight? It's just, it's yeah. not, uh, you know. It's like an act of aggression. Even if you're not looking to talk to anyone, like it's weird to sit and watch a movie alone in a large theater. There's like a communal energy that you get from sharing an experience that you wouldn't get if you're sitting on your own really far yeah, away from Yeah, I think people. that's one of the reasons you dine alone at a restaurant is to be around other people also dining and feel the energy. So if you're just in the middle of a room, yeah. <laughs> no yeah. one around you, it kind of defeats the person. Purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hey, yeah. Uh, Andrew, are people are any chefs calling you after your piece and and asking like, what of the different methods have you seen that have worked or like what's best for energy or anything like that? I haven't gotten that yet, but I'll send it out in my newsletter tomorrow, and I'm sure people will bring me back. What's the newsletter again? Yeah, you should go to familymeal.substack.com. Thanks, Dan. And what about with your group of friends? Are people ready to go out? Is there an appetite to just jump back out there? Are people still worried about getting out into public? Uh, it's a great question. People are skittish, depending on who you talk to. I'm sure I could have called. I'm here alone just because I wasn't sure how long this was going to take and whether or not someone wanted to sit next to me um, while well, I did it. But I, I could have called a couple friends who would have definitely come out. Um, but I know that a few of my friends not only do they not go to restaurants, but they might be wary if I call them tomorrow and said, what are you doing this weekend? I went to a restaurant last night. They might be like, oh, well, we shouldn't hang out for a little while because you're one of those people going out. Um, and I live next to my in-laws who are a little bit older and in that risk group. And they are also very cautious, don't go out and don't also like to hang out with people who go to restaurants. So I have to be super cautious tonight and in general. Um, so as not to I don't know, make them too nervous to have me over too. So it's definitely a mixed bag. Some people are raring to go and other people are like, come on, we're, you know, we've almost beat this thing. Let's just hang in for a few more days. But that said, there are still restaurants with weights, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Yardbird had a wait uh, when I went 
the other night, uh, they, they're at 50% capacity. So that sort of ratchets things up a little bit. And the wait was relatively short for uh, Yardbird Hong Kong on Friday night. But there are definitely places where, yeah, tables can be hard to come by still. It's a strange world, but it's here. And maybe you guys will be here soon, too. Maybe. Not in not, Hong Kong, but in this, not, in this maybe dining we'll place. Literally go to Hong Kong just so we can get Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we are very jealous of you being in a restaurant right now drinking a margarita. And we hope restrictions keep getting eased for you and maybe later for us. Yeah, I wish you guys all the best. I hope that um, New York and the rest of America comes through this soon. Amanda, we will be right back with uh, some other things that are going on in the world. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Daniel, I think we have to first address one of the biggest stories of the week, which is the Paycheck Protection Mm -hmm. Program. So they ran out of money after two weeks. It was $350 billion and it ran out as expected, I think. And Congress just passed another bill that would add more hundreds of billions to the stimulus so small banks, so small business owners can get access to this money. Yeah, this didn't go well for a lot of reasons. Um, The first, most important, they ran out of money. The second, and I think what's been the topic of a lot of conversation, is the question of who the money went to. So the bill was intended to help small business owners and actually... A restaurant lobbying group, an independent restaurant lobbying group, added in the loophole that is now very controversial, uh, saying that you could be, you could apply for this money even if you have many, many, many employees, so long as you don't have more than 500 in one location. So you could have thousands upon thousands of employees. You could be a publicly traded company with lots of cash on hand, and you could still access this money uh, if you don't have you know, more than 500 in one place, which few restaurants employ more than 500 people in one place. So it's basically anyone. I can't think of any restaurant. I may be like a giant nightclub-y restaurant, Vegas, something or other. Employees in one place. 500 is a lot. This loophole was written into it. Everyone's very angry about it now because um, companies like Shake Shack, Ruth's Chris, Potbelly, Sweetgreen all got the max loans for Shake Shack. That's $10 million. And I think it wouldn't have been that big a deal, except this was first come, first serve. Everyone was fighting to get the money first, and they ran out. 
Yeah. So while maybe the writers of the bill had intended to cover everyone and they wanted to include these bigger companies because it's all about paying the people. It's about keeping people in business, but it's also about paying the employees and most of the money has to go to your employees. Uh, so I think they didn't want to cut out um, bigger chains, but the problem is because it's whoever can get to the line first and the bigger you are, the more power you have mm-hmm. and the more frictionless the process is, they got the money before everyone else. Yeah. That's a good way of saying it. You were telling me also that, um, the, the size of your business determines the actual arm of the bank that you work with. Yeah, there was a report out today just saying that some of these banks have concierge services for some of their biggest clients. So if you are part of Citibank's private banking service, where your account size has to be $25 million to be able to participate in this, they didn't have to go online. They didn't have to do all that much. They could simply just call their banker and be like, hey, we want to apply. Yeah. And then they put it right in. Versus everybody else, which is working with the, you know, run-of-the-mill Citibank people who are flooded with all of these requests and, like, can barely get their work done. <laughs> uh, it's just a completely different experience. So it, while on paper it might have seemed like, oh, this is fine. Everybody has access to the same thing. That's not how the world works. Obviously, people were insanely mad that Shake Shack, Ruth Chris, these big restaurant chains were first in line to get a lot of this money. But how do you think this could have gone better? This thing was written very quickly because it had to be. So I don't know if they had enough time to figure this out, but I think there could have been phases where if if you are legitimately a small business, you get to go first. If you are a bigger business, yes, your employees should be covered too, but you might have the capital to float yourself a little longer. So you have to go second or you have to go third. So, you know, Cura had gave back their $6 million. Shake Shack gave back 10 million. Sweet Green gave back 10 million because the PR was so bad. But I don't know if it's necessarily them. They were just trying to, you know, they realized that they could apply. Their business businesses are in trouble. They want to employ as many people as possible. They should be able to access the money. It's just the way it was set up. They were being pitted against these mom and pops. Yeah. I don't want people to come away for, with this from this thinking it's not fucked up. It is fucked up. But people were just acting in their own best interest. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I guess, the world. The world is fucked up and everyone's acting in their own best interest. Another business that's been catching a lot of heat um, in the media has been Fuku Dave Chang's uh, fried chicken sandwich chain, I guess you can call it. Um, they w- what's What's been going on with them? So Fuku expanded to... Portland, Oregon, and uh, they announced expanding to Brooklyn and Miami too. Um, a delivery only Fuku in a partnership with Ghost Kitchens. So the company is called Reef, and they basically send their product to Reef. Reef makes it in their trailers yeah. that are parked all around the city, and then they're delivered from yeah. there. Yeah, all of a sudden, people open their delivery apps in Portland, and there was Fuku. And people at first thought it was a fake, but it's actually the real deal. Why was Davey catching so much heat for this? The Portland restaurant community was furious. I was kind of surprised by this, but they were not happy that he would be coming in and potentially taking market share away from them by launching this delivery only concept. I understand their argument that there are all these places that are just fighting to survive right now. Again, like I, I feel like I always play this role, but 
I mean, like if you hear them talk about it and a lot of people think this is the future, right? Like they're trying to pad their operations to be more pandemic proof and mm-hmm. disaster proof. Someone called for a boycott that caught a lot of traction and the hashtag was support local, support local restaurants, support local food carts. And yeah. so it would make me think that they would be anti fuku coming in regardless. It's almost like the new um, resistance to big chains like McDonald's, like don't let McDonald's come into my neighborhood, except now it's like a cool once indie chef who's become like, you know, the big bad guy. It's just wild to see this. It must be, yeah, especially wild for you as someone that's covered him since the beginning. I know, he was like the renegade chef and now he's the guy that people are trying to boycott because he's bringing his fast food concept into like this indie city. They're treating it like it's Starbucks. Yeah, 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 totally. Uh, They're treating it like it's a zero-sum game. I don't know if it's a zero-sum game. Right, right, right. Like him, Fuku succeeding directly takes away from them succeeding is their point of view. Yeah. Weird city to pick, though, don't you think? Maybe it, it they have good infrastructure for centralized delivery locations or... Right, like maybe Reef is just really set up there. But it's just like such a crunchy vibe out there. Like go to Seattle if you if you really want to do Pacific Northwest. I bet they had no idea that people would resist at all. <laughs> all right, next up, a huge, huge story in New York. Speaking of, I guess, the delivery pivot, mm-hmm. um, Chef Masa... Uh, you know, three Michelin starred the cathedral of sushi in New York, uh, $750 plus per person. When I first heard that Masa per this is not what we are even going to talk about. But mm-hmm. when, when I first heard that they were s- over $700 per person, I had in my life, this is probably six, seven years ago. I had in my life never heard of another rest of a restaurant being over 400. So like, just to show you how staggering the price differential is there versus anywhere else. And then they're doing it again. Yeah. You know what? I never, they're blowing my mind again. So good for them on that front. Amanda, what are they doing? You tell me, Daniel, what are they doing? Well, okay. Uh, Eater New York reported, Ryan Sutton reported that uh, they were doing uh, delivery for two, uh, or a delivery, um, a make your own sushi box uh, for $800. Wow. 800 <laughs> big ones. They're selling 20 a night priced at 800 That's amazing. Each. It'll feed up to four people. Yeah. So 200 bucks each. But what if you're in a household with just two people? So then you're like, what, eating it the next day? That doesn't seem right. The, the people that, that he's selling this to are not, I feel like are not concerned. I, I you know, right. That's not their big worry. I would be like, yes, I'm down, but could you give me a half box? Well, why don't you put out that request? Make that official. I'll ask. I'll see. I'll see what he can do. Just because, you know, tone is hard on podcasts sometimes. Amanda is kidding. (laughs) Joke. You don't want people to send me hate mail? Listen, if people want to get mad at you for... You don't know. You don't know, Daniel. Maybe I I really want to splurge. I I think this would truly be the last thing that you would splurge on. I guess you, you know me well enough. Um... Yeah. So what do you think? You- it's just it's just a world that we don't really know. Like even on Masa's uh, on his GoFundMe for the employees, they had uh, 80. They have like almost ninety thousand dollars in pledges. And Ronald Lauder, the yeah. multi-billionaire son of Estee Lauder mm. and his wife, Joe, gave 
$30,000 to the GoFundMe. That is amazing. So for someone to do that, like they're clearly, you know, frequenting Masa. But yeah, yeah, he's getting the takeout box for sure. Let's just... I have to say, we um, just put up, like we wrote about it and then mm-hmm. put up a, a link to the story on Instagram, put up a picture on Instagram and the comments were ridiculous. Like people were tagging me in the comments of how dare you in a time when people are dying. It's like, I'm first of all, I'm not selling the $800 sushi box. Yeah. We're just, we're just telling you what's happening in the world. Um, second of all, people are going to, people are going to go for it and they're going to sleep at night and I'm sorry. They may even sleep well. All right, Daniel, um, a somewhat sillier story, but still vitally important we might mm-hmm. be running out of CO2, yeah. which we need for our seltzer and our beer and so many mm-hmm. other products. Carbon dioxide is a byproduct from uh, fuel production when you're converting ethanol to fuel. So, uh, and fuel production is way down. Um, carbon dioxide is way down. And this is crazy. This, uh, From what I've read in this Forbes article, it, the larger companies are probably not going to be as impacted. They're paying more for their CO2. Uh, beer companies, if they have huge machinery, are actually able to repurpose a lot of their CO2. But mm-hmm. it means that smaller, more independent seltzer companies uh, could potentially run out of CO2, meaning, Oof. you know, a lot of seltzerless people out there in the world, um, potentially going forward, which, you know what, in of itself, like, especially compared to everything seems light and silly, but is just a, a perfect reminder that little things can cause huge ripple effects. I mean craft craft beer, right? They're they're kind of in trouble, right? Craft beer is in huge trouble. The quote is no CO2, no beer. Wow. Yeah, they think that the supply is going to be down more than 70% within the next 4 weeks. Well, we will keep an eye out for that. Thank you all for listening as always. Uh, thank you so much to Andrew Janung from Hong Kong. Thank you to Beth McKibben from Atlanta. Thank you to you, Daniel, as always. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Amanda. If you like the episode, please make sure to send it to a friend. Email us at digest.eater.com. And we'll be back next week. Thanks very much. Goodbye. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.